Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, in his book called Making Room for Life, author Randy Frazee tries to capture the essence of the life of one typical middle American family. The family rises at 6 a.m. Everyone fends for himself or herself for breakfast. Dad heads out at 6.45 to beat the 7 a.m. traffic. His normal commute without excessive traffic is 45 minutes. Mom and the two children are out the door by 7.15. Usually someone is a little cranky. Mom drops her elementary age sons off at school by 7.40. 20 minutes later, she arrives at her workplace. At 3.30 p.m., the children are done with school and enter an after-school program. Mom skips lunch so she can rush out of the office to pick up the kids by 5 o'clock. She arrives home at 5.30. 15 minutes later, one son has baseball practice. She gets both kids in the car and rushes to make it to the practice field on time. The other son has a game at 8 o'clock, so she calls her husband on the cell phone while talking, taking her son to baseball practice to make sure he can grab the second child at the field and get him to the game by 7.30. Dad leaves the office at 6 p.m., unsuccessful in his efforts to make it through his to-do list. Traffic is now an issue, so the 45-minute commute stretches now into an hour and 15 minutes. He arrives at the practice field at 7.15 with all the signs of road rage. He kisses his wife, waves to his son in center field, whooshes the second son into his SUV, a mere $700 a month, and heads to the game field about 15 minutes away. Son number one finishes practice at 7.30, and he and mom head for home. On the way, they stop at Taco Bell for dinner, and they arrive home by 8 p.m., and the boy turns to video games while mom checks email. Meanwhile, the baseball game gets started a little late and doesn't end until 9.45. Dad is still in his business casual clothes, but he does appreciate the forced break to watch his son play ball. On their way home, they make a quick stop at the McDonald's drive-in window. They arrive home at 10.30. Once in the house, son number two reveals that he hasn't finished studying for the history test he's supposed to take tomorrow. About 45, after 45 minutes of shoving facts into her son's short-term memory while he inhales a McDonald's Happy Meal, mom sends him to bed. It's now 11.15. Mom and dad flop into bed dead tired. They watch a little television, exchange a few words, mostly action items for the next day, and then lights go out. Mom falls asleep as soon as the lights are out. Dad, on the other hand, doesn't. He lies there thinking about all the things that must be done. He knows he needs to sleep, so he gets up and swallows a sleeping pill. It may be the only way he can get a good night's sleep lately. It bothers him a little, but he doesn't see any alternative. Tomorrow promises the same. Things seem a little harried and out of hand, but the following assumptions keep the family from making any changes. Everyone lives this way. It took hard work to get where we are. We can't stop now. This is just a season. Things will slow down soon. Now, while your details may be different, and maybe it's possible that not every day is super busy, I'm guessing that you can relate a little bit to the family in this narrative. We all know what it's like to be busy. I mean, I know the feeling too. I can go all day long, all week long, weeks at a time and not slow down because there's always one more thing to be done. I struggle to rest and to slow down and I only work on Sunday. So I feel really bad for the rest of you that have to work every day of the week. Now, how many of you feel this from time to time? Don't make me stand up here by myself. How many of you feel this? Like we feel this busyness, right? We have this, uh, in fact, scientists have a name for it. They call it hurry sickness. Psychology Today defines it this way. It's a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. We're way too busy. In fact, busyness isn't just the norm in our culture. It's actually a badge of honor. If you're not busy enough, we may be accused of being lazy. 
The question, though, I think that we need to stop and ask ourselves today is this. Is this frantic treadmill I'm running on really God's idea for what my life should look like? Or is there something better? Is there maybe a better way to live? Does God have something better for us? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor uh, in the room around you. It's page 52 in this Bible, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to wrap up our series today called Making It Count. And while the Bible is not, um, this is not a self-help book, right? You know that. This is a, uh, a love letter from our God. But there's lots of wisdom in here for helping yourself. <laughs> and so there's, there's lots of things that we can take from Scripture uh, to learn how to make our lives better. And that's what we've been doing in this series called Making It Count. We've been looking at some numbers and formulas that are useful in Scripture to help us live the way that God would have us live. And so week one, we talked about marriage and the benefits of mutual submission. That was really popular. In uh, <laughs> week two, last week, we talked about parenting and um, the importance of making every moment count with your child. And if you came into Gen Kids today, you notice we have a display back there with a jar full of marbles. And I had one friend tell me this week, oh, great, now I can be depressed every weekend. And so <laughs> you're welcome again. And so that's great for married people, and it's great for parents. But uh, today's message is one that I think you can relate to uh, no matter where you are in stage of life, no matter how young or old you are, whether you're married or single, working or retired. And it's this, it's the fraction one-seventh, one over seven. What do we mean by one-seventh? Well, it's a weekly plan suggesting that uh, completing anything that you would call work in the maximum of six days so you can have at least one day to rest, one out of seven days. It's what the Bible calls Sabbath, one day rest out of a seven-day week. Now, the Sabbath is not a relic of the past. Uh, it's not something for those who are lazy or just have too much time on their hands. And honestly, it's not even something that should be limited to Christians. Like, it's not just for Christ followers. I think that even no matter where you are in your journey with God, that you will get something out of this message today and out of what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, Sabbath is a, a chance to take a rest, to take a break from the routine of life. Uh, and uh, one time each week so that we can experience this wonderful gift that God has given us. Um, so our scripture today is from Exodus 20, as I said. You may know this story. Maybe you've um, read through the Old Testament story. Maybe you started um, some well-meaning January. You just started to read through the Bible, and you made it to Exodus 20. Uh, no matter how, maybe you've seen the movie uh, Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments. No matter how you know this, you probably know kind of the story up to this point where the people of Israel, who are God's chosen people, uh, are held in captivity in Egypt. And uh, they, God chooses one man, a man named Moses, to help free them from that. And through a series of miracles, God saves his people out of slavery. But he had promised them this land that they were going to go to. We actually called it the promised land. It was in scripture as the promised land. But God didn't take them right out of slavery to the promised land. He looked at his people and he said, no, you guys still need some help. And so we're going to wander around for a while. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They were in the wilderness, and they ended up at this place called Mount Sinai. And you can see on the map where it is, there's Egypt uh, to the west, and Mount Sinai is kind of at the bottom of this little peninsula. Um, and it's located in southernmost Egypt. Uh, Mount si now it's in Egypt, still in Egypt today. It's in Egypt today. It wasn't Egypt then. It's in Egypt now. Mount Sinai was where God called Moses up to the top of this mountain, and he speaks to Moses face to face. He, he has these words with Moses, and he gave Moses gave his people through Moses the Torah or the law and is basically like an owner's manual for how to live life 
on earth, how to live life God's way. And part of this law was what we call today the Ten Commandments. And they're captured for us today in our Bibles. They're in Exodus chapter 20. Now, there's something interesting I learned a few years ago about the Ten Commandments. There are ten, and they're all important, but they're broken into a couple of categories. The first three commandments, as you read them, speak about how we relate to God. They're kind of vertical commandments, us up to God. And then the last six are how we relate to one another. Like, how do we have person-to-person relationships? So there's three this way and six this way, but the fourth one sits curiously in the middle, uh, and it's unlike the others. And here it is. It's Exodus 20. starts with verse 8. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, here's another interesting thing about the Ten Commandments. Nine of the commandments start with the words, as we translate them today, start with the words either you shall or you shall not. In fact, if you grew up in church, maybe you uh, grew up reading a more traditional version of the Bible, you might know them as the thou shalts, right, or thou shalt nots. Um, That was the Ten Commandments. But nine of them start like this, thou shalt or thou shalt not. But this one about the Sabbath is different. It starts with the word remember. Now, that's really fascinating to me because remember has a couple of connotations. One, it means I've told you this before, right? Husbands, if your wife says, remember, we have that thing tonight, what that means is she already told you about that thing and she's reminding you of it, right? God says, hey, remember, I already told you about this, but remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The second thing it means, so it means you already know this. The second thing is uh, I've shown you this before. Like you've already seen this in action. And the third thing it means is that there's something special and unique and set apart about this command, that there's something life-giving and essential for all of us. See, most of us tend to look at Sabbath or rest as something from the past. It's something optional or it's something that's impossible to incorporate into our lives today. But the truth is that Sabbath is a gift, that God does something special in us when we reorder our lives around the Sabbath. And so I just want to show you where Sabbath is first used in Scripture because I didn't realize this before preparing this message this week. It's just used a couple of chapters right before this for the first time in Exodus chapter 16. If you've got your finger in your Bible at Exodus 20, you can probably take a page or two back and turn there. Before arriving at this place at Mount Sinai, what's happening is that God's people are hungry. I mean, they're in this wilderness. Uh, wilderness uh, in here would be trees and rivers, and, but in Egypt, the wilderness is a desert. And so they're out in this desert, and there's no plant life to speak of. There's no animals running around to speak of, and so there's no food. And so they're hungry, and um, they're struggling to survive, but God is rich in mercy. You know, the Bible tells us that the God is rich in mercy, and he looked down on his people, and he gave them food through this stuff called manna, and he would send it every day. And here's, here's where this comes from, Exodus 16, 21. It says, each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow, or the seventh day, is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Now, as you read that, one question may stand out to you right away, and that's what's an omer? Uh... An omer, just for your clarification, just this will help you maybe in, in life somewhere down the road. An omer is a unit of measurement, and it's one-tenth of an ephah. And so there you go. <laughs> Hopefully that's helpful to you. 
An omer is a little bit less than a gallon, and it's a unit of measurement, and every person would gather two of these units, about a gallon and a half, uh, to use for each person in their family. And if they gathered more than that, what would happen is it would rot. It would rot in their house. It wouldn't keep more than a night, except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, when the Lord commanded them to go gather twice as much, they would go gather twice as much. And what they were finding is uh, this. In verse 24, it says, So they saved it till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So the people had to take a Sabbath. They had to rest because God rested and not putting the manna out. And so that's our word Sabbath. That's where it comes from. It's the, it's the Hebrew verb Shabbat, and it means to stop working. And so God's people came to understand Sabbath as a gift. It was a day to break from working. But much like I think we can see today, to take the Sabbath required some faith and some trust in God. I mean, can you understand how if your survival every day, your eating every day requires you to go out and gather food, how it takes some faith not to gather food on the seventh day. I mean, think about this for today. If I'm going to take a break one day a week from work, it means that I've got to trust God that he's going to provide for all my needs. It means I've got to trust that all the projects, all of the deadlines, all of the work around the house or the yard is going to get done. It means I trust that taking a day away from Instagram or Snapchat is not going to kill me right? We, it requires some trust. Sabbath is a gift. And when we incorporate Sabbath into our life, we work six days and we work hard because you have seven, right? If right now you're doing that work in seven days, you now have seven days worth of work that you've got to get done in six, but then you rest on the seventh. And when we get this rhythm from heaven into our lives, um, it's a gift. We get the gift of knowing no matter how much you work, there's always a day of rest coming. Do you know how you feel <clears throat> at work when you know that there's a vacation coming at the end of the week? Like, you work really hard, don't you? Like, I, I want to work really hard because when I leave, I don't want any ends untied. I don't want any I's undotted or T's uncrossed. I want everything to be done and, and tied up in a nice little bow so that when I leave, it's all done. And you will work really hard that week leading up to vacation, won't you? And, and when we live in a constant rhythm of Sabbath every week, is kind of like that. Like that we always know that there's rest coming, there's rest coming. But, but Sabbath is a gift, but it's also a paradox because it's a gift that takes great faith to accept. Go back to Exodus 20 for a moment. I've mentioned a couple things that make this commandment unique. You know, the fact of how it starts with the word remember and that it's not really about our relationship with God or our relationship with each other. But another one is that it's the only a commandment that includes a story of how it came to be. And so if you read further in Exodus 20, you see this. Uh, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now here's the story. Oh, well, he says, On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And then here's the story. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, if you read through Genesis 1, what you see is there's this rhythm to the way God creates. Genesis 1 and 2, there's this rhythm to the way God creates. 
For six days, six days all function the same way. There is evening, there is morning, day one. That's what the Bible says. There is evening, there was morning, day two. There was evening, there was morning, day three. The first six days have this pattern to them. And then the seventh day is fundamentally different. Scholars have noted there's something fundamentally different about the description of the seventh day because God worked for six days, evening, morning, evening, morning, but on the seventh day, he finished his work and he rested. Why did God take a day off? Did he need a day to himself to regroup or sleep in? I mean, was this God's form of self-care? No, no. God's never been tired. He's he's never needed a rest. He's never thought to himself, eh, it feels like a Netflix day, you know? (laughs) But by resting, God provided an example of what one-seventh living looks like for us. And so the fourth commandment is tied to what God did. Like he finished his work, and then he created Sabbath, and he rested, and he called it holy, which means it's set apart, right? That there's a day set apart from the other days. If God can do it, surely we can, right? I'm looking around at most of your faces, and... What they're saying to me is, okay, boomer, <laughs> that may have worked. <laughs> like, maybe that worked when June Cleaver wore pearls to dinner and kids' sports meant uh, a pickup game on the sandlot. But, Steve, that's great. I don't even disagree with you, but what you're asking in our culture is impossible. I know. But part of the challenge is that our culture doesn't allow us to live this way. But, but I want you to remember one thing. When you read Acts chapter 2, and you see what the church was like, there are two things that stand out to you. One, the church was very, very different from the rest of the world. And two, the people in the church were very, very popular, that, that they were loved by everyone. The, the Bible says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people, that people outside the church would look at the people inside the church and say, there is something different about that group of people. And I may not believe what they believe, but I sure wish I could live like they lived because the church was living in a way that was counter to culture. But still, who on earth has time to rest? I mean, if you, if you own your own business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you, you have your own place, you know that you could work every day if you wanted to. There's always something else to be done. If you're working while trying to get, make your way through grad school or through college, um, I've been there, I know what that's like. You know how hard that is. If you're working two jobs to provide for your family, uh, you know what little time you have. If you're parents that have little kids, or maybe you're a single parent, um, you know that every moment that's not filled with school or work is practice and rehearsals and recitals and games. So when do you clean the house? When do you rake the leaves? And when do you organize the garage? I mean, when do you do all the stuff that needs to get done? I mean, how does anybody have time for Sabbath rest? But then I realized this. The main reason I'm busy is me. Like, I own my schedule. I'm the one who gets to decide what I'm going to do and what I don't do. And more than anyone else, I'm the one standing in my way of resting. If I'm not willing to say no to some things, if you, if you're not willing to say no to your kids sometimes, if, if I'm not willing to work hard or use my six days a week wisely, when it comes to my busyness, I don't have anybody else to blame but myself. And so why is that? Why why don't we slow down? And I think it's this. Because moving fast hides some of the challenges in life that we don't want to face. And instead of addressing the root cause, which the root cause for most of us is finding our value in how much we do or accomplish or achieve. 
And if that's the root of our value, we're always going to be looking for ways to increase our value. And what that means is we've got to do more. We've got to accomplish more. We've got to achieve more. I just got to keep working. Uh, and, and if that's the case, we choose to stay as busy as we can. But at some point, we have to learn a very important lesson. And that's that our identity is not in what we do or what we accomplish or what we achieve, that our identity is found in Christ. And it's who God made us to be and that you have value no matter what you accomplish or what you do. We are not machines. We are not designed to run 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Um, I saw a great movie last weekend. It's called Ford versus Ferrari. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Um, I don't usually recommend movies from the stage because it's got some bad language in it. And uh, I don't want you to go out and see it and then come back to me next week and say, Steve, I've never heard that word before. Why did you send me to see that movie? I know you guys never watch rated R movies. I get it, except The Passion of the Christ, which you watch on repeat, right? Uh, you're better than me. Um, so Ford versus Ferrari, a fascinating story of a partnership between Carroll Shelby and the Ford Motor Company. What was happening was um, there was some bad blood between Ferrari and Ford, and Ferrari was dominating the endurance racing circuit, Le Mans. If you don't care about cars, this isn't going to mean anything to you. But Ferrari is dominating like the 24 hours of Le Mans races in France, and Ford decides, Henry Ford II decides, I'm going to go beat those guys. And so he calls in Carroll Shelby. At least this is how the movie depicts it. And they were going to design this car to be a Ferrari beater, right? And so they de 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 uh, designed the Ford GT40. Uh, which, if you've, ever, if you've never seen it, is the most beautiful car ever created. It's lovely. Uh, they have one at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. You should go down there today and look at it and just uh, bask in its glory. But um, they created it in like 90 days, and the first one uh, didn't do very well. But then it won Le Mans. It won 66, 67, 68, 69, four years in a row, dominated. In fact, 66, it won first, second, and third place. It was a fantastic car. But what they found, there was something really uh, great about this car, and that was, it was very untested when it went into race, uh, racing mode. And so they knew uh, they could run it at, at certain speeds and have no problems. Up to 6,000 RPMs, it was great. It would run all day and all night. But then when they started to get up to like 7,000 RPMs, it was so fast that something was going to happen. And they didn't know when. It probably wouldn't blow up right away. But over time, the car was not designed to move that fast for that long, and it would break down. You see where this is going? We're not designed to move so fast for so long, and we probably won't blow up. In fact, uh, we can go really hard for a long time, and maybe nothing will happen. But over time, our unwillingness to slow down and rest has an impact on us and on our kids and on our relationships in ways that we may not notice now, but eventually it's going to take a toll and it's going to leave us stranded. In fact, one of the things that I found out in my pastoral ministry, and before that in my, in my role in the corporate world, is that if we don't intentionally take time to rest, rest is going to be provided for us, and probably in a way that we don't want. It may look like a job loss. It may look like a bankruptcy. It may look like a divorce. It may look like an illness, but we will eventually be forced to rest. Well, so that's great. Scripture talks about Sabbath, but that's all Old Testament. What about Jesus? I mean, didn't Jesus come along and break the Sabbath all the time? <laughs> didn't he like feed his disciples on the Sabbath? Didn't he heal people on the Sabbath? In fact, isn't it true that one of the things that the religious people got so mad at Jesus about was that he was always breaking the Sabbath? Yeah. But Jesus also reminds us that the Sabbath, that we weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. The Sabbath was made for people. And I think you can clearly see the value that Jesus puts on Sabbath and what he teaches. In fact, in Matthew 11, he says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find 
rest for your souls. That phrase, rest for your souls, doesn't that sound so good right now on a Sunday morning? And we've been so busy all week long. Don't you just want rest for your soul? He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke is a wooden cross piece that they would tie between two animals to help distribute the load so that if they were pulling a plow or, um, uh, or, or towing something, pulling something behind them, neither animal would have to take an, uh, uh, an uneven amount of the weight. It would evenly distribute the weight between us. And we all have yokes that we have to wear in our lives. We all have work. We, we've got school. We've got kids. We've got uh, the home or the farm or whatever we've got to do. We all have a yoke. And Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to take your yoke away from you. He's saying, I'm going to give you my yoke, and my yoke is easier. It's lighter. It's, it's a different yoke uh, than what you're used to. And so when we make this conscious choice to live the way that Jesus modeled for us, we're getting so much more than just a day off every week. Like we're stepping into this way of life that is best. We're stepping into this way of life that is really making it count. And Jesus says, I'm going to go along with you. I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to be with you. I mean, you're going to take my light yoke. So how do we practice Sabbath? And with all that in mind, what does it mean to practice one-seventh living? This, this rhythm where we work six days a week and we rest on the seventh. Well, Mark Buchanan in his great little book called The Rest of God talks about what he calls the golden rule of Sabbath. And according to Buchanan, Sabbath means two important things. We've put those in your notes if you're taking notes. Uh, We've also added two more to the end because four is better than two. And so we're just including two more. But uh, the first one is this. Sabbath is an invitation to stop. It's an invitation to stop working. If, uh, like me, if you grew up in the Midwest, uh, you may remember there was nothing more magical than a snow day, right? Uh, and uh, you couldn't, you didn't get a phone call from the school back then, you didn't get a text message, uh, you couldn't just go check on the internet. When you were going to find out, if when it was snowing outside, if you wanted to find out if school was closed, what did you do? You sit around the radio, right, and you wait for your school to be called off, and uh, I attended Ben Davis High School, which is Wayne Township Schools. Wayne starts with a W, and just like my last name, it was always at the end, And so we'd have to sit there and listen to them read every school in the whole metropolitan Indianapolis area until they got down to Wayne Township Schools. And when they said Wayne Township Schools closed today, you jumped up and you screamed and you yelled and you just knew, hey, we're going to take some extra time at breakfast today. Uh, We're going to go back to bed. We're going to stay home and play outside in the snow. or We're going to read a book for fun or we're going to do the things that we want to do. Sabbath is like God's equivalent of a snow day once a week. Like it's every week. Because Sabbath means to stop. I mean, Sabbath means no work, no thinking about work. It's a time to set aside the distractions and to put away the to-do list. Sabbath means that hurry takes the day off. It means no catching up on errands. And and we limit the decisions we make. We don't want to have to think through heavy things on the Sabbath. And we take a break from technology. You know, what if you have young kids? What if you're a single mom? I'm not neglecting you don't feed your kids. Okay, don't do that. Your Sabbath's going to take a little creativity. So can you trade with somebody? Maybe you can trade with a friend. You take a Sabbath one day and they take a Sabbath another day. Maybe moms and dads, can you work together to give each other a break? So maybe it's impossible right now at this stage of life for your whole family to take a break. But maybe mom needs a break and dad needs a break and you can give each other that break. Uh, maybe even uh, go out to lunch. And if you can't afford that, maybe prepare some food in advance. That's what the people of Israel did. They prepared their food in advance so that the next day 
You just, you just go get it out of the freezer and put it in the microwave. It's not that hard. Use, use paper plates and paper cups so that you don't have to do the dishes. You know, get creative. Change up the routine so the day's different than, than the rest, so that it's something that you look forward to. I, I was reading that some Jewish families um, actually have a wooden box by the front door, and they, they put in the box all the things that they won't be using on the Sabbath. So maybe they have a car key and a, a watch and a cell phone and laptops, remote controls, whatever it is. And when they get done, they close the box, and they know that everything that's in there is in there for the next 24 hours. Think about that. What would you put in that box? And put all the dishes in the box. <laughs> I'm going to put the dog in the box so I don't have to let him out every half an hour. You know, whatever it is, like it's that that restful time and it's set apart from God or set apart to God. It's a gift from God that's set apart to Him. A Sabbath is an invitation to stop working, but that's not all. A Sabbath is an invitation to rest. Uh, rest is so important. There's a difference between stopping working and resting. I think about music. Uh, these guys up here, they don't they don't use music chart, so I don't have anything to show you. But in music, the music doesn't go on indefinitely, right? There's a note, and then there's a pause. And that pause in music is called what? A rest. It's called a rest. Just think of what it would sound like if every instrument was playing notes all the time. It would be chaos, right? You, you, every composition, every great composition has a time for music and a time for rest. Um, because every note, every sound, all of the time with no break would just be awful. There's a time to hurry and there's a time to move fast. There's a time to play and a time to work. You know, I won't try to tell you how every moment of your Sabbath day should go, but it, you should rest. And rest means something different from everyone. There's no like complete answer here for everybody. So what's rest for you may not be restful for me. What's work for you may not be work for me. I would never, for instance, mow my grass on my Sabbath, but maybe that's how you rest. And so that's okay. What is it that's rest for you? Your Sabbath should include a respite from anything that feels like work. Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, wrote this about Sabbath. He said, The bow cannot always be bent without fear of breaking. Repose, or rest, is as needful to the mind as sleep is to the body. Rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. Well, let's don't confuse rest and sleep. I think... Uh, Sleep is an important part of rest, but if you've ever just tried to think, I'm just going to sleep all day, you probably got up at the end of the day not feeling very well rested, right? Sometimes, do you ever say this? What are you going to do today? I'm going to do absolutely nothing. How many of you have lasted in that? <laughs> i got to tell this story. I don't have much time, but I'm going to tell this because um, I think it's so telling about Sabbath. Uh, I, I'm a huge NFL football fan, and so one of the ways that I rest is to watch NFL games, and, um, but... I don't know if you know what I do for a living, but I'm busy on Sundays, and so I don't get, always get to watch football. Um, but a couple years ago, we took uh, fall break out to Arizona, and uh, you know I didn't have to work on a Sunday, and um, it was one of those Sundays where they had a game in London in the morning, and, and then, of course, they have the regular 1 o'clock game and the 4 o'clock game and then the evening game. And I, um, so it was the year after Peyton Manning retired. And if you ever watched Sunday football, you may remember Peyton Manning the year after he retired. He did those commercials where he was in his bathrobe and he would call up his brother Eli and say, Eli, I've got the nachos ready. Come on over, watch the games. And Eli's like, hey, Peyton, I got to work. You know, I'm working on Sunday. And I would watch that. And I'm not kidding you. I would have this deep longing in my heart to sit at home in my bathrobe and watch football all day long. There were days where I did not want to come and talk to you guys because I really wanted to watch the games. 
but I couldn't. And so when we went out to Arizona, I told my wife on the plane, I said, hey, tomorrow is Sunday. I'm going to watch football all day long. And she said, that's great. That's a rest. You do that. So I got up 6.30 in the morning was the first game because it was in London, right? 6.30 in the morning. I got up. I watched the whole 6.30 game. Like 6.30 in the morning, football is on live. This is awesome. It's like Sabbath, no doubt. And then, and then the, what's the one o'clock game here came on at 10 in the morning there. And so I, I started to watch that. And then by about halftime, it was a blowout. And I was like, well, this is boring. I don't, don't want to do this anymore. And then I looked in the, at the TV on the guide on the screen, and I saw what the next game was. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't really want to watch that. And I realized that by noon, I was done. <laughs> I didn't feel really rested, and it wasn't even as exciting as I thought it would be. I got to do what my heart always dreamed of on a Sabbath, and it wasn't the same. So you got to figure out what rest means for you. It's probably not just sleeping. So in addition to not working and resting, uh, what does Sabbath include? Well, this is the third thing. Sabbath is an invitation to play. You got to have fun. Dan Allender suggests you ask this question before you plan your Sabbath. What would you do for a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria was pursuing deep joy? What is it that brings deep joy to your heart? You got to figure out what that means for you. What activities lead to great joy for you? Maybe for you it's a hobby or a craft or a game that you like to play. Maybe it's exercise or sports or competition. Uh, Maybe it's a ride in your car or a ride on your bike or on your motorcycle. Maybe it's movies or video games or working in your shop or working in the garden. For some of you, maybe it's cooking or eating food. Uh, It's enjoying the people you love, spending time with people you don't always get to spend time with. For our family, um, you know, we can't take a Sabbath on a Sunday because I I work. My wife serves in our church. Our kids serve in some places some some weekends in our church. And so uh, Sunday's a really tough day for us to take a Sabbath. But you know what? Friday's my day off. And so we can do that. And in the, in the summertime, when the kids aren't in school and my wife's not working, we take a Sabbath as a family. And we started to take Friday, and then we, we host our connection group on Friday night. So that doesn't always work for us because we have to make dinner. So we host our, our Sabbath is Thursday, 5 p.m. until Friday, 5 p.m. during the summer. And we just make plans to do family stuff. We, we eat out or we eat food from our pantry, our freezer that's already cooked. Uh, we, we don't do chores. We don't think about chores. We don't check email. We try to do something fun, and we've got so many great memories of Sabbath spent at Kokomo and Corridon and Lafayette, towns that you would never, ever vacation to, uh, but man, they're fantastic places to visit for a day and, and do some fun stuff, and we don't have a mastered, and it's more art than science, there's no doubt, but we, we look for ways to play. Don't overthink it, but ask yourself, what in life gives me joy? What gives me rest? What would be fun for me to do? One more thing Sabbath should include is that the Sabbath is an invitation to think. It's an invitation to reflect. It's, it's holy to the Lord. And so any Sabbath would be incomplete if we didn't at least set aside some time, and preferably time at the beginning of it, to, to be alone with the Lord. And if Sunday's that day for you, that is awesome. You can, no better way to start that than here at Genesis and worshiping the Lord and hearing his word, but don't overlook your quiet time too, your own personal time with him and reading scripture and, and praying and just talking to God about everything that's going on in your life. Sabbath can be a time to evaluate how we're doing with those important relationships with our lives. How am I doing as a husband? How are we doing as a parent? You know, how are you doing as a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever it is? Are you honoring the Lord with the rest of your week? Am I working hard on those six days so that I can afford this Sabbath? And, and most of all, it can be a time for just being thankful for everything that God's blessed you with. Uh, I, I love Norman Wiersbe in his book called Living the Sabbath said this, When our work and our play 
Our exertion and our rest flow seamlessly from this deep desire to give thanks to God. The totality of our living, cooking, eating, cleaning, preaching, teaching, parenting, building, repairing, healing, creating, becomes one ever-expanding act of worship. And that is what Sabbath really looks like. I saw the story this week of one man who challenged another man to an all-day wood chopping contest. The idea was, you chop as much wood as you can, I'll chop as much wood as we can, I can, and we'll see who, who wins. And the, the challenger just worked hard all day long. I mean, every minute of, every day of the day, he was filled with chopping wood, and he would look over, and he'd see the, the guy resting, and he goes, ah, he's going to get beat. And when it got to the end of the day, the, the challenger looked over and saw that the man who he challenged had had much more, much more wood chopped than he had. And he said, that, that's impossible. He, he talks to him, and he says, uh, Every time I looked at you, you were taking a break. You were sitting down on that stump and resting. And the man that he challenged said, yeah, but what you didn't see was every time I was resting, I was sharpening my ax. And that's what we do when we rest, is we take that moment. And by having this pattern of work and rest and work and rest, we slow down, we establish this rhythm that comes from heaven, and we can actually be more productive in the rest of our lives. And we can take one day a week and we can set it apart and use it to relate to God. Let's pray together. God, uh, it's time for us to slow down. Even just a few seconds uh, in the middle of a prayer just seems really, really uncomfortable because we're so used to doing and watching and listening and um, activity, both in our lives and in our minds, that it's easy for us to wander away. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to rest. We need to find our rest in you. So, God, as we think about this topic and we think about the idea of Sabbath and that being one day out of the seven, I think that's so important, but don't help us to help us not to miss those little moments during the day when we can take time and just reflect and pray and be in your presence and rest in you. Lord, we need that in this world, in this culture, in this county. We need that. We need your rest, the rest that comes from you. Lord, we need your spirit to guide us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.